0: We believe that when you receive the sacrament, you are getting Christ's body and blood. And there are two views on this. Cold mentions these: receptionists or a consecrationists. A consecrationist would be a Lutheran who says, "With the words of institution, the union happens, and you have Christ's body there in the altar and Christ's blood there in the in the chalice." And the receptionist view would say, "It's with when you receive it into your mouth, with the eating and the drinking that you receive that it is the body and the blood." You have raging debates among people like this. The more traditional right wingers tend to be more consecrationists and others might be tend to be more receptionist. That's not always a clean line there either. And people like me would say, eh, I'm not sure. I don't know if it really matters. But a couple of things that do matter here. One is that it's not like it's just bread until you and, and then it's and, and then it turns into the body. You're getting bread and body as you receive it. Now, whether there's Body there on the patent is open for some debate because, and here's the reason this is important: it's very important that you take, eat, and you drink. And Luther stressed this. You need to receive it. If you don't eat it and drink it, it's not a sacrament. And this is important because of the Catholic abuse. Because see, the Catholics again believe it has become the body and blood. So the Catholics would have these kinds of practices, things like a Corpus Christi. You know what's Corpus Christi mean? Christ. Body, body of system. Christ. Yes, Corpus Christi means body of Christ. And so Corpus Christi, they would have a what's called a Corpus Christi procession. The priest would say the words of the institution, get a nice big host, and it becomes the body of Christ. No one would eat it. Instead, they would now take this host and stick it on the front of a special cross made for this, and they would parade it around the town. Why? Well, where Jesus is, his power is, Satan can't come near you. So if a flood is threatening, you do the Corpus Christi celebration, and you get rid of the flood, ward it off or if the bad storm is coming, you lose electricity, quick, host, and stay away, storm, <laughs> and you missed your chance, you know, and so you see, that's, that's the idea of the Corpus Christi, so Luther said, that's an abuse, we don't have this body of Christ parading around, and you're not worshiping Christ, because, well, there he is on the front of that cross, you see, instead, you realize it's, you, it's for the sake of eating. It's not just magically performing, earning forgiveness. We're back to the sacrifice of the Mass. And so he was, that's, why he, that's why he stressed the eating and the drinking. And that's probably where the Lutheran view of the receptionism came in. And so your pastor was probably pushing a hard receptionist position, which is fine. But be careful not to say that it turns into, because it is already. That, that, that was the problem, was it became physical blood and physical blood. Yeah, that's the problem with that. It's a sacramental presence, and he is there for you. So if you did, like, a scientific test on what the contents of your stomach, you're not going to find blood. You will find wine. And the same thing goes, see here. See, the Catholics, with transubstantiation, will admit that. If you run scientific tests on the consecrated bread and wine, it's still going to be bread and wine. But the substance has changed, so who cares? We would say that with the bread and the wine, you are receiving the true body and blood of Christ in a sacramental way that goes beyond our understanding, but he's really there. He's there because he said so. And because of our Christology. Because where Christ is, he is always according to both natures human and divine. He can't cut him apart and, like like I said, park his body and go flying around without his body. He's present according to both natures. And here's where we part comes with the Reformed. Because, see, the Reformed fundamentally have this big issue their issue is. To your list, Tom. Finitum non compox infinity. What? (laughs) Finitum non compox infinity, which is the finite is not capable, cannot handle the infinite. The finite is not capable of the infinite. Finitum non compox infinity, which means. You can't take divine things and shove them into little human things. So the bread can't possibly hold the presence of Christ. It's not capable of it. And see, this is an axiom for Calvinists. They believe this because it makes sense. How can a paltry little physical thing hold a non-physical spiritual thing? Makes no sense. So the Calvinist says, if it makes no sense it must not be true. And this teaching of the Calvinists gets them into all kinds of trouble. Because because they believe this, they deny the presence of Christ in the sacrament. Doesn't make sense. How can Christ's body be there in that little wafer? How can his body be multiplied millions of times over every single Sunday for 2,000 years? He must have a really big body. They would say things like that. I mean, just being really crass and nasty, trying to mock the Lutherans, because it makes no sense. Because finite non cut infinity. The problem, of course, is this proves way too much. Because if you really believe the finite is not capable of the infinite, then how in the world do you believe in the incarnation? Well, they all want to believe in that, but they really have trouble with it. And they even start backpedaling on that. So what Calvinists teach is that Christ, according to his human body, is somewhere up in heaven. But according to his divine nature, is present with us in the sacrament. And we say, you've just divided Christ. You're an historian. Can't do that. Remember, Nestorius said two boards glued together, human and divine. Peel apart. Okay, human's over here, divine's over here. Can't do that. As soon as you peel them apart, no Christ. They always are together. That's Christ by definition. And so, where Christ is, he is present according to his body and his blood and his spiritual nature, all at once. Can't pull them apart. So, that's where we come down. Can you understand it? No. Can I explain it? Nope. Do I know tangibly what's going on? Nope. But I know that when I receive the bread and the wine, I'm getting Christ's true body and blood, and he's there for me, and all of his gifts and all of his forgiveness are mine. That's what I know. And that's the power of the sacrament because I taste it. I smell it. I feel it. I know it. I got it. No matter how weak or wavering my faith might be, I got it. Okay, John everything that they thought it does. about our own perception of what we are. Yeah, it does. It, it has it's a very wide-ranging thing, but this is a key thing to understanding where they come down. So see for the for the reformed then, what do they get at the sacrament? Nothing. They get bread and wine and a nice reminder. Now, like I said there are variations. Calvin and some really good reformed, like I know some presbyterians who Come this close to saying physical presence, and they would like to, but they can't because they're Presbyterian and they haven't changed yet. But um, they, they will eventually because they, 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 they know where their truth is. But because they come this close to recognizing what Christ says is so, but they just can't quite bring themselves to believe it. And they have, they have to do all kinds of messing around then. For example, Jesus at the words of institution says, This is my body. And they say, Well, is doesn't mean is. Well, it does too. It does too. It means is. And so they've got to start backpedaling and explaining all kinds of stuff and to get into all kinds of trouble. So these are the three fundamental positions. Rome's problem is the sacrifice of the mass. Reformed's problem is it's just a symbol, and that's all. Now, are there symbolic aspects to it? Well, sure. I think about Christ's body and the bread, and reminds me of that. But it's more than a symbol. But the problem with the Reformed is that's all it is. And here's the real issue. In a Lutheran understanding of the sacrament, who's doing the work? God is. He's delivering the goods. In the reformed understanding of the sacrament, who's doing the work? I am. It's useful to me if I make the connections, if it reminds me, if I put it to use. Now it becomes something valuable. But if I go up there and I just slop down the wine and the bread, and well, no big deal. It's just a symbol anyway. And so it's all about my performance rather than God's gift. you that? I'm sorry? Calvin Yeah, that's the It's just a symbol. But that's completely opposite of what he said before, 100% God or 100% hell. Or, you know, heaven or, you know, that concept of... Oh, that God, God does it all. Yeah. Yeah, true. But see, God also has to be reasonable and rational, which is why he believes in double predestination, which is why he believes in only a symbol of the sacrament. It doesn't make sense. Calvin's biggest mistake was he was convinced that doctrine had to make sense. And Luther said... It's just God's promise. I don't have to understand it. It doesn't have to make sense. I'm willing to put my understanding subject to God's rule. And see, it's, it's the whole question of what role does reason play? That's the real issue here. What role does reason play? For Calvin, reason always had, was at the top. Because God gave me reason, and he wouldn't tell me stupid things. For Luther, reason was always underneath because it was subject; it was impaired. can't trust it. See, this even plays into our, how we read scripture higher criticism says, human reason can figure the Bible out. And we would say, an appropriate attitude, no, reason has its place, its role to play. I use my brain to read the words on the page. I use my brain to study the history. I use my reason to understand the archaeology. But ultimately, I put my reason subject to the words of God. So when the Bible says God created the world in six days, well, that's hard to understand. But I will put my reason subject to God's word and not say, obviously, a myth, because it doesn't make sense. See, that's putting reason over the word. Instead, the reason is subject to the word. Reason has its role to play, but always subject, always underneath, secondary. Isn't that almost like a quick, and not that you ever want to put our release in a one-sentence box, but that kind of summarizes where we stand on everything. How's that? that? Well, the, fa- the fact that we're willing, like to the reform, they want everything to be logical. Right. And we're willing to say, no, right. God bless blessed us with logic, yeah. but we are... Underneath whatever his authority right. or his explanations are. Right. Yeah, that's true. And that's right. the Roman Catholics do the same thing of trying to try to explain, explain more than they should. Yeah. And that is one of the things that you see with Luther all the time. He he's willing to simply say, This is what God has told you, this is his promise. I'll cling to his promise. And that's enough. And I to go further would be speculating and I can't do that. So I just cling to the promise. John. So, how do the Catholics and the Reformed stand when you know, war not to take the sacrament lightly and to approach it with a contrite heart? <coughs> no. Now, what was the first part of that? Well, I mean, we said you know that you're supposed to you know take the sacrament, yes, you know, with, and you can heap damnation on yourself. If yes. you it. so where do Catholics and Reformed stand? Oh, good question. I don't, I'm not sure that's God's problem, not mine, but I mean, so is this a serious concern? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think it's a serious thing. Um, See, Paul teaches us also that the sacrament, we should um, examine yourself before you take the sacrament, and you should recognize the body and blood of Christ. And he says, this is why some of you are suffering, because you are not concerning the body and blood of Christ. So what we would say is that if you're making a mockery of the sacrament, it's actually detrimental to you, not helpful, which makes good sense because, you see, this is the gospel. This is Christ himself. And you're acting like it's not. And so you're, in a sense, mocking Christ, ridiculing him. That's why it's hurtful. But, is it still a valid sacrament where, where Christ is present? I mean, if Christ is present, he's present. And, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, yeah. In a sense, yeah, it's a serious issue. But like Catholics and some sense aren't even giving the sacrament if they're not giving the wine with the bread. That's a good argument you can make. Communion of one kind really doesn't constitute the sacrament. They're withholding it. Now, if I had my druthers, if today the Lutheran Church disappeared and I only had a choice between Reformed and Catholic, which one am I going to take? Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because at least I'm getting, you know, the the presence of Christ and an understanding of that. That's far better than just this empty symbol, no doubt. More mercifully, I don't have to make that choice. All right. So, it's another question, Chris. Um, he was talking about the recipient. Now, can anybody give communion? Um, the person who does the words of institution can actually be anybody, but. This is an issue not for the sacrament, but an issue for Office of the Ministry. We understand that ordinarily, to do things in decency and good order, that it is appropriate for the pastor of the congregation to be the one to do this, because he's been called for that task. And we're not just anybody gets up there to do it. So the pastor is the one who should do the words of institution and distribute the sacrament, and he should also be the one who gives the host, because he's the one who is admitting people to the, to the table, to the altar to receive the sacrament. By giving them the host, he's saying, yeah, you belong here. This gets into the whole pastoral care church discipline kind of a thing. So if he sees someone receiving the sacrament who shouldn't be there, then he could pass over them, theoretically. And the guy who's giving the wine would follow suit. And you know, in the old days, the pastor's always carried the wine because the, lame, the elder was scared to do that or something. But Ray, really, the pastor's the one who should have the host. And that's appropriate. Now, who can assist him with that? Well, anybody could if he needs help, I suppose, because he's the one who's actually overseeing this. Other questions start to come in here immediately, like, "What well, can a woman do it?" That? Well, that's a different issue altogether. Nothing, it has nothing to do with the sacrament, but it has a whole lot to do with the office of the ministry and with God's plan of creation, thats a, but that's a different issue. It looks like it's the same thing, like, well, it's not a valid sacrament. No, that's nothing to do with the sacrament, but it has a whole lot to do with our perception of the office and God's plans and design for how the church should function. The sacrament is the sacrament, regardless who's doing it. Yeah. Okay? okay. So if I go to communion at ELCA Church? Mm hmm. But you won't, because you're not in communion with them and you're giving the impression that you are. But, well, anyway, back to your theory. If I go to communion at Church, would you be getting the sacrament? Right, and I think that I would at yes. some ELCA Church. No, it'd be a valid sacrament. If the words of institution are there and the bread and wine are there, yeah, you've got a sacrament going. But now, see, this gets complicated. This is another whole issue that's just entered in, whether or not you belong at that rail. And I would argue, no, you don't. But I haven't made my case for that yet. And my I will. in-laws are at the LCA, and they wonder why I'm taking you to the church. Okay. And I tell them that I don't. Mm. I, don't believe what, yeah. I don't believe what their church is Yeah, doing. yeah, yeah, you're on the right track. That's right. Yes. The, there's some churches that, that uh um that they they have the bread and the wine just sitting up there before the service and you can just go up there and, and take it and they say it's been uh, they've done, you said the words of institution over it. Really? Yes, Lutheran church? No, no, no. Oh, okay, no, I was gonna no. say good. <laughs> yeah, that gets to the whole thing about it. it's just a symbol, use it the way you want to use it. You see, this even our practice of the sacrament depends on our, our theology. In the Catholic Church, how's the sacrament treated? Big deal. All the smells and bells, the big pomp and circumstance, because you got a big mystery going on here. You've got the sacrifice of the Mass. In the Lutheran Church, how we treat the sacrament? Very special. You know, liturgy to get it ready. We make a special place in the service. We go up front, we kneel. If you go to an Assemblies of God church where they have communion, how do they do it? At the end of the service, some guy up there says the words of institution, this represents Christ's body, then they pass it up and down the pews. Anybody who wants it can grab it. So what they do. It just works its way up and down the pews. And anybody takes it as they want to. And one of the guys who's here on, like, now on campus now, grad student finishing up, was an Assemblies of God Pastor. Came here to do grad work and ended up becoming a Lutheran. And, <laughs> it, was, and it was inevitable. Um, but see, what happened for him, and he will talk about it very freely, he said what he put, put him over the top, finally just did him in was when he was at an Assemblies of God church one Sunday here in St. Louis. And they were running a little tight on time, so they did the communion that Sunday. And as the bread and wine were working its way around the pews, some guy was doing announcements. You know, just because it's not a big deal. And he said that just, just he just realized how empty this whole thing was and what a mockery they're making. And so he's now in the Lutheran church. So oh. Anybody who takes their time to actually studies this stuff ends up being a Lutheran. You just can't help it. That there's this huge controversy between what they call a closed communion. Oh, and you and just became aware communion. of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are people who think that one side of the argument is if everybody publicly confesses the creed, their faith. Yeah. Then, then, then who are we to deny them yeah. the sacrament? Yeah. There's other people who say no. They have to actually, like, be verified communicants or something. Gotta like that. They got to be card-carrying LCMS. Lutherans. Right. Even though we don't have cards, but we need to start making them. And I've heard Wisconsin. <laughs> I bet he has barcodes on the wrist. It's like <laughs> 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 Sorry. But I've heard Wisconsin's in it is like they, they actively deny people oh, the sacrament sure. if they have uh, we, we, we will talk them. about close communion or closed communion here in a minute. Okay, we'll get there. Yeah. To go back to your comment earlier um, that it should be the pastor that consecrates the elements and also passes it out. Yeah. In Alaska. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of Lutheran churches that have preaching stations. But you can't reach them yeah. on a routine basis. Right. What do you do? Well, there are situations where you could have somebody who the congregation designates to carry out the sacrament for them, and I would say that's acceptable. And that would probably border on what we call an emergency situation. And so if you're in a, in a case where you just cannot get a pastor, say, you know, let's go, you're on a desert island and you're stranded there and there's a group of 12 of you, Choose one of you to be the pastor, and then he carries out, he becomes pastor for you. That's that's appropriate. Right. But the, I don't think you should uh, take turns and, um, your turn this week, now it's your turn. That, I think, would be the wrong thing. I think you should choose one person who would be designated to say, you're going to be the one who will act on our behalf in this step. That would be okay to do. I say that because I was taught how to do that and went to some of these places uh-huh. because they could not get a pastor. couldn't get a pastor from yeah. there for months. Right. And so I was taught by a pastor, right. To man, you're doing it underneath his supervision in a sense, yes. right? Yeah. There's that's acceptable, not ideal, but acceptable. All right, yeah. All right, one last thought here. The Cole points out. Before I, I'm not the with communion but just one other thought is the fact that he uses again bread and wine. What's with that cheap, ordinary stuff? Well, again, he uses cons, or it's very consistent with God's way. Common, ordinary things doing profoundly important things. That's how God operates all the time. Water, word, bread, wine, that's how God likes to operate.